This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming marriage and family therapist Elizabeth Earnshaw to the show. Elizabeth, or as you may know her, Liz of Liz Listens on Instagram, is a renowned couples therapist has an influential Instagram page, and is releasing her debut book, I Want This to Work. In today's episode, Liz and I talk about how to have those heated conversations in a way that is above the belt. As a mom of three boys, I know that there is no shortage of intense, or heated conversations that can happen around things like parenting values, discipline, finances, where kids go to school and daycare, all the things, and the stakes feel so high. It is so important for us to learn to have conversations and disagreements that are above the belt, meaning that they are productive and helpful versus below the belt and inflicting harm on our relationship. This is a really down-to-earth, realistic conversation that's going to provide you with tangible, practical skills for your relationship. So whatever you're doing, lace up those shoes or bundle up to go on that stroller walk or listen to us on your break. Either way, we're so happy you're here. Let's tune in to my conversation with Liz Listens. Hey, Mama. Psyched Mommy and I have some news. Our highly sought-after workshop, Managing Mom Rage, will no longer be offered after Friday, December 10th. That's right, this is the last opportunity to check it out. To be clear, this means that we will no longer offer the replay of the workshop and we will not host another live Managing Mom Rage workshop. If you're not familiar, this workshop was created for parents who are having trouble managing their intense feelings of frustration, anger, and rage. After taking this workshop, you will better understand how to clearly define anger and recognize how it shows up, what hides beneath the anger that you might not have recognized, how to protect yourself outside of these triggering situations, what to do in the heat of the moment, how to repair with those that you love, and what you can do to get rid of the shame that often accompanies anger outbursts and losing your cool. Since we're no longer going to be offering our Managing Mom Rage workshop, that means that our best-selling bundle, which includes unpacking resentment, will also be expiring. This is your last opportunity to get Managing Mom Rage or the bundle with unpacking resentment. This product is expiring Friday, December 10th. This is not a drill. Hurry, don't miss out on this final opportunity. To secure your access to the Mom Rage Workshop, head to happyasamother.co slash momrage. That's happyasamother.co slash momrage. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. 
Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. I've known you around Instagram town, you know, seeing you for quite some time now, and I'm so happy to be sitting down and getting to air quote, meet you face to face. So thank you for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You have got some exciting things on the go by the sounds of it. You are in the process of releasing a book, which I can imagine has been in the works for quite some time. You've got a large Instagram platform. Can you tell us a little bit about how your journey started in this Instagram, Instagram therapist type of (laughs) role? Sure. Yeah, I don't really know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. I know. It's one of those things where I'm like, this is not what I expected. But, you know, I'm happy that it obviously went in this direction. But I think in 2018, yeah, it was 2018, I decided to start sharing things on Instagram because I was having a lot of clients coming in and there was all of this kind of foundational information that they were missing. Yes. That I felt like was taking up pieces of the session that like if they had just known it, we wouldn't need to spend 20 minutes talking about it, right? So it was this more psychoeducational stuff. You know, what are the four horsemen? How can you express yourself? How can you do all of this stuff? And so I thought, well, it should be just shared somewhere and then people could see that. And then they would be able to come into their sessions and have a little bit more kind of like context or information to what we're doing. So it Mm. started there. And I think I like kind of got in at the right moment. (laughs) It was like when everybody, all the therapists started doing it around the same time. Yeah. I don't think I realized that, but luckily it's gone from there and I've gotten connected to so many people. I've gotten to share so much information. It's really been a wild experience, as I'm sure you know, not always the most fun, but also it's been so amazing to see who I get to be connected to because of it. I'm like in awe of it sometimes. Yeah, this idea of taking therapy out of the therapy room, or like you said, laying some of the basics and foundations that, I don't know if you feel this way, but having gone through school, you kind of like get your degree, you get out of the world, you're practicing, and this stuff just kind of feels like common knowledge. It's like, what did I pay for school for? Like, you know, I didn't learn anything. And then you realize that there's just so many concepts that we have just sort of inherited along the way. And these fundamentals and these concepts are so like mind-opening to people who haven't been exposed to this space. Like I've been eat, sleep, breathing psychology since what, my undergrad. So we're talking years and years of just being in this space, right? Right. But being able to like really digest it and put it out there in a way that is so accessible for people has really resonated clearly by the size of your audience. Yeah, I think so. I think going into psychology, we probably always had that interest. So we've always been digesting it, thinking about it, all of that kind of stuff. But I think overall, people are interested in that. And if they just had it in front of them the way we have, they would be able to have these things kind of become second nature. And then you can do the harder stuff in therapy where you actually have to have the conversations and stuff like that. But you would actually have the understanding of the skills, which I think makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. The understanding of the skills and the understanding of yourself, I find too, or yeah. your own nervous system or your own biology. There's so many pieces there 
that provides so much understanding and empowers you in those situations as well to know how your body works or how you interact or your attachment style or your conflict style or it's just certain things about yourself as well going into these situations. It's incredibly helpful to know. Yeah. Just having that context yeah. is powerful. Like even if you don't know exactly how it applies to you, just having the context is a game changer because you can start normalizing. You can say, oh, that's why I can't get the words out of my mouth. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's just because when people are flooded and overwhelmed, they have a hard time talking. So learning these concepts can completely, I think, open access to making change. Yeah. And I think your upcoming book really lays out some of those foundational concepts for people so that they can come into these conversations. And that's our topic today, right? Like how do we have these heated conversations or how do we have these fights, air quotes again, above the belt versus maybe resorting to old patterns or getting flooded or storming off or lashing out? And it's such an important thing, especially when we talk parents and when we're in parenting where, I don't know about you, but personally, the stakes have never been higher in the conversations that we're having, right? Like we're talking about our children. We're talking about parenting values. We're talking about the finances around our children. That is a whole big piece of the puzzle. So I'd love for us to explore some of these foundational things or maybe pull pieces of what you talk about in your book today to explore how we can have these conflicts in a way that is above the belt. And maybe we can start with the question of, like, do all couples have conflicts? Like, do we all have these disagreements? Or is it realistic to expect that we should not have disagreements? Yeah. So all couples, all humans are going to have disagreements if they're in relation to each other. It's just not possible. And honestly, if I talk to people and they say, we never disagree, we've never argued, sometimes that concerns me, right? It's almost a red flag in itself. Yeah. Yeah. It concerns me just as much as someone who says we're always shouting at each other because that to me signals that somebody isn't really themselves within the relationship and that someone Mm. else is probably making unilateral decisions and like the other person has just kind of learned to absorb that and move through it, but they aren't necessarily a part of the equation. So all couples fight, all friends who are very close are going to have differences, family members are going to have differences, is the normal course of relationships. And this is because you are more than one human being in that dynamic, right? And You've had different background experiences, some very positive, some very difficult. You've been raised, even if you have values that are close, you've definitely been raised within different family cultures. You have different values. You have different expectations of what you thought marriage was going to look like or coupledom was going to look like or parenting was going to look like. And all of that is based off of what you've observed in your own lives. And you don't have the same eyeballs, so you have not observed the same things. Right. So you're, of course, going to have differences. And like you said, the stakes are never higher than when you have somebody to take care of, when Mm. you have people depending on you. And there's so much built into that, right? You have things triggered from your own childhood watching your children. You also have your own expectations for what it would feel like to be a parent how your children would interact with you as a parent, what your dreams are for that child, those are rubbing up against each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easy because you have one person that doesn't care about the issue as much. So 
one person gets to lead. Sometimes it's easy because you both have the same belief or value or desire. And sometimes it's really hard because you're on different pages. But all of that is completely normal. Mm-hmm. And I love that we set that expectation clear from the get-go because being overly agreeable or people-pleasing and never having conflict can be a red flag in itself, as you said, of just somebody not really being a part of shaping the family dynamic or values or decisions. Or we can have, you know, sort of the opposite, but finding a middle ground where we can have these open conversations with each other. Yeah. And acknowledge differences of opinion and try and find a middle ground. But I feel like it takes so much of these foundational skills to be able to get to this place of being able to sit in this conversation with each other, right? I feel like there are some key mistakes that get made in how we approach these conversations. So when it comes to, let's say, one of the questions I get a lot in my stories, for example, and in the polls that I do on the weekends is, What if you are like wanting to embrace a gentle parenting philosophy and your partner raises their voice? Like there is a difference Mm -hmm. in parenting values there. Mm -hmm. The real mama bear like that I know can even come out of me at times wants to be like, what are you doing? Like stop (laughs) yelling in the heat of the moment wants to just like be reactive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But how can we approach these high stakes conversations? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think the big framework to all of it is that you have to work on building relational awareness. Mm. And what that means is that you have the ability to hold on to yourself. Holding on to yourself means that you can remember what your own opinion is in the situation, recognize your own feelings, you know, remind yourself it's okay to advocate for yourself. And you have to be able to hold on to the other person and you have to hold them in view as well. So you're holding both in view. You know, it's, this is me. I really believe in gentle parenting. I think it's really important that we approach it X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I love my partner. I had a child with them for a reason and I'm going to hold them in view too. I want to know their perspective. I'm interested in what they're thinking here. What's causing this reaction? What do they bring to the table? Because Mama bear can come out, but mama bear is not always right, you know? Mm. And so do you have that relational awareness to recognize and have a willingness to see perspectives on both sides and to let both of those in? That's a relationship, right? Mm. We start to have problems when we lose relational awareness, which means we go into conversations and all we're thinking about is them and their perspective. So that's like other awareness, like okay, I'll do what you want. I don't want you to be upset with me. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I see your perspective and I lose myself. Or we lose relational awareness when we strong arm and we say, no, I'm right. You're wrong. My perspective is the only one that is accurate because I'm the only one that's read the books and da 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 So that in itself is where you're going to lose the conversation. Right. So if you're struggling, you need to bring it back to relational awareness. Now, what does it actually look like to approach this topic, I think was the bigger question, which is we know that the way a conversation starts is the way it's going to end. So if you start a conversation criticizing, if you start a conversation with a harsh tone, if you start a conversation by embarrassing the other person in front of other people or your kids or whatever it is, it's going to end in those same types of feelings. Mm -hmm. It's going to end with embarrassment, shame, 
you know, feeling criticized, feeling defensive, all of that type of stuff. So it's really important if this is an important thing for you to bring up that you don't feel that you have to bring it up in that second all of the time, that you can take the time to cool your body down, you know, take a second to breathe, and then that you can express yourself from your own perspective. And you can say, when I see, you know, you and George, my son's George, Mm. so this is something I might say to my husband, right? Because I'm a therapist, I'm feminine, I'm more likely to be like, don't say something like that to him. Shaming. Like, why would you tell him he needs to be a big boy or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But if I say to my husband, what is wrong with you? Why would you say something like that? He's going to get defensive. Mm -hmm. And he's going to say, well, you know what? He wouldn't talk like that if you would start talking to him like this and what's wrong with you and da-da-da-da-da. And and we're going to get into that argument. Now, if I go to my husband and I say, honey, I didn't step in earlier because like, I wanted to respect what was happening in that moment. And when I see that happening, I feel really flooded. I feel really upset. I worry X, Y, and Z. You could even say I've read a lot and I I worry that that could really impact self-esteem. It could bring up feelings of shame. It doesn't seem to be helpful. And I want us to sit down and figure out like, how are we going to navigate this together? Because it's okay that we're different but we need to figure this out together. That's very, very different and likely to receive a very different response. Mm -hmm. I think you're touching on a really key pain point here for a lot of the moms that are listening is this idea that when it comes to parenting, I have done the research. I've put in the time. I've put in the effort. And so when I make a suggestion or make a recommendation, like I'm the one that has put in all of this mental and invisible work, right? And then partner maybe doesn't see it or value it in the same way. And then it can cascade into this whole dynamic of juggling the parenting dynamics, right? Yes. How in those situations, like when we're thinking about that and we're thinking about moms who maybe have legitimately done more of this invisible load and work, what might be some soft startups potentially leading into these conversations that we can use that don't come across as condescending or critical or harsh. Yeah. So we're addressing the mental load here, and we're also addressing bringing up the fact that you do have more information. I mean, it would be the same as if you're the one that took the kid to the doctor and the doctor said X, Y, and Z, you actually heard it, and then your partner is giving like a completely uninformed decision. It's really frustrating. Right. So really hard to bring up the conversation. One thing, you know, if we're talking about the difference in like researching discipline, I do want to encourage parents, moms in particular, we're in a very research heavy time right now. Yeah. There's also something to be said about natural parenting. And so, and this is a whole nother topic and it's in my book, but really recognizing how much of the mental load are you taking on that's causing resentment and is unnecessary Mm. versus how much of the mental load is really important because you actually do have a skill deficit. You want to learn a little bit more because I think that sometimes with all of the stuff that's out there, we're just taking in. I have so many friends that are like, I just read this attachment book and I just read this and I think I've already messed up my kid and like my husband didn't respond to this bit. And like, you also have to be able to lean into a little bit of like, 
allowing personality, natural parenting, all of that to come out. So I just want to say that first because I think moms put so much pressure on themselves to get it right. And then what happens is you criticize yourself. If you're criticizing yourself, you're going to be way more critical of your partner. Yeah. No, I have to just say, Liz, like that is such an important piece of this conversation. We talk about the perfect mother myth a lot. We talk about intensive mothering, this exhausting, draining, unrealistic expectation to constantly be pursuing perfectionism, you know, and doing it right as a mom. There are necessary pieces like keeping the home running. And then there are these research pieces or these perfectionism pieces that are absolutely draining. And you're right. If you don't see your partner stepping up to the same level of perfectionism, you're going to resent that they're not, you know, being confined by the same restraints that you feel you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts to remove focus from what you're actually trying to do because it's all about this perfectionism and not about we're just trying to raise healthy, happy kids who are going to be able to function in the world. Yeah. With that being said, and I will self-disclose here, my husband and I have struggled with the mental load. And I will say that I think we've championed it, championed it in many ways because he is now responsible for the majority of it, which is amazing. But in the beginning, we would have these arguments. So I can give an example of what this actually might look like when you're feeling resentful because I was the one as you can imagine, I'm a therapist, yeah. reading all the books and talking to doctors. And, you know, I get so angry. And it never worked when I came at it from that direction. But what did work is a couple things. One, using gentle startup, which is being able to say, and this is the breakdown, I, I've noticed X. When that happens, I feel what I need is. So I've noticed that I'm doing a ton of research about where we should send George to school, mm. a ton. And when you came home the other day and you said that you didn't understand why we would be spending so much money on that daycare, I felt completely disregarded. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt frustrated. I honestly resented you. It's okay to say that word. I resented you because I have been doing so much research. So. I know it's expensive, mm -hmm. but I've seen what else is out there. Right. Like you're not just making that decision on a whim. There's so many minutes, hours, you know, research websites visited, things that have gone into that final conclusion that is invisible to him. Yeah. Right. And when we talk about this invisible load, and I think that like I have this whole series on the invisible load, and I think it resonates so deeply with moms because it puts some language to, yeah, that's it. Like very similar situations in regards to not school, but like so many things when the kids were little, little. Everything. <laughs> where I'd be like, okay, like I think we really need to do this. And my husband would be like, why? And I'm just like, I've legitimately been researching this for two weeks. Like I'm just articulating it now, but he had no idea and so until we could work out how to communicate that more effectively, it felt like a blind side to him. Meanwhile, I had been researching it for two weeks, right? Yes. And it's like infuriating, even though maybe your partner didn't know that <laughs> you were researching right. it. She's like, you should know. But you know, even with the example I gave, my partner knew I was researching it. And so like just right. to relate to other moms, like 
sometimes you're like, what? You know where this. is this? Right. You know I have been up at 2 a.m. freaking out about which daycare we're going to send our kid to. <laughs> totally. That's so, so true. Yeah. It's so true. So then, you know, after you share what you've noticed from yourself, I've noticed I'm researching, not I've noticed you're a big jerk and you don't care about anything <laughs> or any of that. Yeah. But I've noticed I've been researching. I felt so frustrated when you said that it was so expensive. Aren't there other options? Because I've looked at all the options, but then it's really important to have an ask. Mm. So this is where you set your boundary, right? Because if you say, I'll keep researching and being upset and being resentful, you're not bringing that person in to take some of this invisible labor. So with this example, I said to my husband, I want to hear what you have to say about the expense. I really do because I care about your input. I'm not going to talk about it with you, though, until you read those links I sent over. And that's just the end of that. And so it's saying what you notice gently, talking about your feelings, but especially with this mental load invisible labor stuff, giving it back to them. Yeah. And saying this is where, like, you you can look at it if you want an opinion, and I love your opinion, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to have the convo until you educate yourself a little bit. (laughs) Right. No, it's so, it's so valid. And I can think of a recent, like how this played out with my partner and I, we moved a few months back. And when I was on mat leave and I wasn't working and building a business and doing all the things that I'm doing now, I used to sell a lot on, we have garage sale here. I don't know if you guys have that, but like a Craigslist or like, you know, secondhand stuff. I used to sell a lot of the things that the kids were growing out of and whatever. And we were moving and he's like, well, you know, we could sell these things like, or we could just donate them because are you going to post them? And then are you going to have the conversations and organize the pickups and tag the items and leave them out when the people are coming to pick it up? Like there is a whole load around this that I frankly, in this moment, am not willing to take on and nor do I sort of need to, like I can you know, donate this to another family and win for them, win for me. I don't have to deal with it. Right. So like you said, like that's maybe an invisible piece of the labor or the mental load that I used to take on myself before that I realized this is an unnecessary thing right now. I don't need to do it. It's going to really overwhelm me if I do commit to doing it. So my boundary is feel free. Feel free. (laughs) Otherwise, we're donating it, right? That's my favorite line. I say, feel free. You can look, you can can figure it out, but I'm not going to do more. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, it's so important to know our boundary, have our boundary, hold it in a respectful way. It's not, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying I can't, I won't right now. Like I have too many things going on. And I love that. Like if we went back to this relational awareness idea, you maintained that. You were like, I'm holding on to myself. I know what I can do. I'm not going to do it. And like if you want to, you can. Like here's all the things you would need to do. It wouldn't have been relationally aware, let's say, with my partner if I had said, no, that's the school we're going to and I don't care what you think about the expense. Like deal with it. We're doing it. It would have also been relationally unaware if I would have said, you're right. It's so expensive. Yeah. Okay. I'll find another one. Right. (laughs) You know, and because then we would have lost one of the pieces of the equation. And so you just gave such a good example of holding on to yourself and even being somewhat firm, but still like if your partner wants to do it, great. They're allowed to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then 
I don't carry the seething resentment of here I am tagging these items at midnight because I have so many things to do and organizing pickup times and whatever, right? Totally. Yeah. I'm loving this. And I really love the concept of holding our partner in mind because I can so see this play out in so many client stories that are coming to my mind where we either bow out, Mm -hmm. right? Like just prioritize the other person's need and then sort of swallow our own desire, opinion, and concede to them and they win. Or we really overactively, aggressively use our voice and make a ruling on the situation. And it's not that win-win. It's not that keeping each other in mind. So I really love how you've described that so people can have like a bit of a visual or understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to kind of conceptualize what it can look like. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. 
People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So when we're thinking about, okay, back to how we have these harsh conversations or these challenging Mm -hmm. conversations, we've got the I notice. What comes after the I notice? I'm feeling. I'm feeling. And actually include a feeling. Not, So (laughs) if you start using the word like, if you start sounding like a valley girl, it means that you're going off track. So if you say, I feel like... You're about to use a judgment with the word feeling slapped on front. <laughs> so I feel like you just don't care about me. Um, yeah, not a true feeling. Right. Not a true feeling. So there's usually no word between the word feel and a feeling. That's a good hack. So yeah, it's always, good. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel resentful. If you start putting words in the in-between, <laughs> you've gotten off track. I feel like Re- you're an a-hole is not really a feeling word, right? I feel you. So we do that a lot. I feel you don't think about things. I feel you never care. Yeah. So I feel you. I feel like. I feel as if. All of that is an attempt, and I, I think most people try to do it with best intent. To soften to what they're trying soften. to, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what is happening is you're actually disguising and veiling judgment and criticism, and unfortunately, it does not hide it from your partner. Your partner will feel it. They will get defensive, which is crazy making in itself. Yeah. And then you're going to get even more upset, and you're going to go back and forth, and the conversation's going to get out of control. I remember when I first learned about this, that I feel and then it's not like you are or like whatever, any of those like sneaking in those criticisms and judgments. And I was like, I feel personally attacked right now. Why <laughs> Why did I have to stumble across this today? But it's so true. I'd be like, I feel like you're frustrated. That's not my feeling. That's your feeling. Your you know? feeling. Yeah. And then they're like, wait. And and then actually it causes a lot of communication confusion because it's like you feel like I'm frustrated. So you're holding that and I'm not frustrated, but now I have to explain myself. And then it, it does take it off the track that you were trying to go down. Right. So I notice, I feel with a true insert feeling right? Yes. And then an ask or like a need or something from them. Yes. Okay. Yep. And so when we're thinking about using this I feel statement or this I notice statement, what might be some things to consider in like readiness for a conversation? Because I'm sure there are some markers of when is a good time and when is not a good time. Such a good question. So first, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's really important to know what's happening in your body. So much of our conflict is actually not fueled by what's happening in our minds. It's fueled by what's happening in your body. So if your body is feeling threatened and relational threat, unfortunately, is processed the same as physical threat in our bodies, Mm. our bodies are super smart, but they're not smart enough to know this is just the fact that my husband called my little kid a baby and that bothers me versus this is a saber-toothed tiger chasing me. Like it just doesn't code those differently. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you start to become 
physiologically overwhelmed when you feel threatened. And again, it doesn't need to be a scary threat. It could just be, I feel threatened in our parenting choices. I feel like my child's future emotional state is threatened. I feel like my opinion is being threatened here. What can happen is you can start to have stress hormones released in your body. And those stress hormones, they go in your bloodstream and they make your heart race. They start to make you breathe differently. They make you ready to either fight or run away from the conversation. And they close off the parts of your brain that actually help you to have relational communication. Mm. So the first things to go when you feel at risk are humor, affection, problem solving. All of those things go away because your brain doesn't really need those to immediately get away from a risk. It's like, okay, there's a tiger chasing me. I just need to run as fast as I can or I need to pick up a stick and hit it, right? Mm. Those are the two things I need to think about. I'm not thinking about a funny joke I can tell the tiger. Mm. So with our partners, if we're flooded, we're not going to do the things we need to do to have tough conversations. You're not going to have good tough conversations if you don't know how to laugh. You're not going to have a good tough conversation if you don't know how to show affection. You're not going to have a good, tough conversation if you can't ask questions. So all of those things need to be there with you. Mm. And the way you can tell if they're there is, is my heart racing? Am I feeling shaky? Do I feel like I want to scream or hit something? Like any of those feelings, completely normal feelings. And it's really important you take at least 20 minutes. That's how long it takes that to dump from the bloodstream, Mm. to breathe come back and try to be in a somewhat calm body. doesn't need to be perfect, but somewhat calm so that you can access the stuff you need to to have a good conversation. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's a sign that it's not a good time is, is it overstimulating? Are kids yelling everywhere? Is it time to get out to the car? Are lunches being packed? It's probably not the time that you want to say, I need to talk about the way that you disciplined the kids last night. I didn't like what you did. Mm -hmm. There's just too much going on doing it in front of other people, having difficult conversations. I'm thinking because we're talking about parenting in front of your kids Mm. probably isn't a great moment. It kind of backs your partner into a corner where they either have to fight with you in front of the kids or they have to just like acquiesce in front of the kids, which is not fun. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like just paying attention to their state. Like did they just get in from a really hectic day? Did they just get really bad news on the phone? Are they talking about how much work sucks and now you're kind of layering on this other thing? So you really want to pay attention. Do we have an environment that's going to allow for conversation? Does my body allow for conversation? And do I think, because you you don't totally know, but do I think they seem like their bodies are going to allow for conversation right now? Mm-hmm. If you're listening, you're probably like, oh my God, that's so many things. How are we ever going to have conversations? <laughs> As a mom of three kids, I can relate to that. Yes, it's always chaos, <laughs> but there are moments that are better than others. It may never be the perfect moment, (laughs) but there are moments, like you said, transitions, not a good time. In the heat of the moment when, like we tend to use snippy tense voices in these like transition out the door to school, transition to bedtime. And then those usually aren't the time to have a conversation. We're either hungry or we're tired and it's not um, when I think about vulnerability factors or when I work with clients about having some of these conversations, I'll even do a check-in with myself. Am I hungry? Should I approach a conversation <laughs> if I don't have food in my tummy? Have I drank some water today? Have I met some of my own needs first 
So I'm not going into this conversation hangry because I know myself and I'm going to be much more irritable in a situation like that. So usually for us, if we're going to have like a high stakes conversation, it's usually once the kids are in bed. It's usually once I've fed myself (laughs) because my husband also has learned that that's a good strategy. Feed me dinner first. And then And then we can have a more like regulated and controlled conversation. And it still might be high stakes. It still might be emotionally charged, but it's more contained in those moments. Totally. And I always like to make sure that we're grounded into reality. And so I don't want people to think that the goal is to have conversations that are devoid of emotions, where voices never get raised, where no one ever stomps out of the room, where like, of course, we don't want to get there. But the reality is, you're humans. And so you try your very best. And you think down this checklist of like, can I do as many of these things as possible to prime myself for this good conversation? And also recognize that when we're talking about uncomfortable things, Sometimes our voices are going to get raised. Sometimes we're going to accidentally say what we don't want to say. Sometimes it's going to go off track. Like all of these things happen in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so then that adds the layer of can you repair? Do you know how to, in the moment, say, oh my gosh, I need to shut up for a second. I'm really sorry. Don't know why I just said that. I'm going to go get myself a glass of water. Or can I try again? Or hey, I'm really sorry. You brought up this topic. I'm not talking about this topic. Let me go back to you. So catching yourself in those moments is sometimes a little more realistic than perfectly planning them and perfectly executing them. Mm -hmm. It's bringing up an interesting situation I was joking around with my partner the other day about we got like an above ground pool for the kids for the summer. It's one that you like, you put it up and then you have to like take it down at the end of the year and it's like winter or leading into winter here in Toronto. And so it's like I come out and my husband's like taken upon himself to do all the responsibilities for the pool. Like, God love him. Thank you. And he's doing all of these things. And I come out and I'm like, why are you doing it this way? Why did I would have done it? And I'm like, I'm like giving instruction to him on his territory and his job of his responsibility that I have assumed no responsibility (laughs) over. Zero responsibility. You just had to take on more mental load. You just don't know what to do with yourself. (laughs) Right? Like I just, you know, there were certain things that I'm just like, just do it this way or whatever. And then I kind of jokingly, like I sat back and I noticed and I was just like, this isn't my role. I know that you know that I'm just going to like zip it and I'm going to walk away (laughs) because I don't have to, like you're the one doing the labor here even. So I don't need to even take this on. Right. And, and he didn't want me to take it on. He was quite happy and content to do it his own way. And he's more particular than I am. He had a system. He had a whole way of doing it that didn't require me. (laughs) And so to have that awareness, as you said, to say, oh, wait, I'm sidestepping here, I'm stepping over the line, or I'm, you know, getting critical or whatever, being able to rein ourselves back in. Yes. I think that does go a long way into repair and showing your partner that you're putting in the effort to do things differently, right? Yes. I mean, it's so powerful when my husband does that for me. Like there's been these moments where I'm sharing something and he'll get defensive and then he goes, okay, I know that I'm doing that thing. I'm going to listen. Come back. Can we try again? It's like, okay, I didn't actually need the perfect. But what I did need Mm. was to hear that 
you're working with me on this, that you noticed yourself in this moment, you noticed me, and that you were willing to like, I always talk about the importance of narrating. Yeah. Like sometimes you don't know what you want to say, but you can narrate. You know, this morning I was irritable and I I said, I think I'm feeling really irritable right now. I'm going to go in the other room. <laughs> like there's there's nothing for me to express there because I don't know what I need to express. Yeah. But that narration can be powerful. Like you saying, all right, I'm noticing myself doing this thing. I'm going to say it out loud. Yeah. I'm noticing myself micromanaging you right now. Yeah. I'm going to go back inside. <laughs> like <laughs> this has nothing to do with me, yes. you know. It's a huge yeah. way to create repair in moments that feel tense. It's just to say what you're noticing about yourself. I'm noticing I'm getting off track. I'm noticing I'm having really angry thoughts right now and I don't know where they're going. Like whatever it is that you're noticing, saying that out loud can help bring your partner closer to you while also helping you to remain kind of embodied and identifying with yourself and what's going on for you. Absolutely. There's that part of this noticing and narrating that is keeping our mindful brain online and us more regulated, Yeah. right? And when you're talking about in these tense conversations where we're getting activated and we're going into fight or flight, I can imagine that that is now centering us and not the relationship, right? We've lost sight of our partner in that moment because it becomes about our survival mode and about us getting to safety. Yeah. So it's really hard to have a conversation that holds both of us when I'm now in self-preservation mode or like this fight or flight mode where my focus is now centered around myself. Yes. Right? Yes. And so the actual physical ability to have relational awareness goes out the window. Right. You don't have those skills. It's a brain thing. It's not something you can like in that moment conquer. And so like in my book, I differentiate between there's fights and disagreements and then there's like hot conversations where you're like you're just offline. Mm. Again, you can't use humor. You can't use affection. That's like, I'm, we've all had these moments, I think. <laughs> I'm not speaking for everybody, but a lot of us, I think, have had these moments where our partner is still online. We're not. Yeah. And they try to do something to repair. Like, oh, honey, you know, and they say like a joke or something and you go, it's not funny. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah. they're, they're still online. So they're like, oh, I thought we could use our relationship skills here, but I guess we can't. (laughs) But when that happens, it's not because you're like an unfunny jerk in the conversation with no sense of humor. You are in survival mode. And so their relational skills actually feel threatening. Mm. You know, it's like, that's not keeping me safe right now. What are you doing? We don't have time to laugh. There's a tiger chasing me. And so what has to happen in hot conversations is very different than what happens in everyday disagreements. Mm. And the most important thing that happens is that you recognize what's going on for you physically and you take a break. And that's hard. If you're in fight mode, Flight mode, it's not so hard. You're going to be like, okay, great. I want to break. You're already out. You're already out. But if you want to keep yelling, making your point, all of that, you're in fight mode. And so I get it so hard. And this is why you need to bring your partner into this too. And both of you need to talk. You know, when we get into hot conversations where one of us has gone offline or both of us, it only takes one of us to remind each other it's time for a break. Mm. And so it might not be you. It might have to be your partner saying, it's time for a break, you know, (laughs) like let's not talk anymore. And to do that, since it's relational threat, 
if the other partner is still quote online, they can do so much by offering reassurance. Like Mm. you have a lot of important things to say. I love you. I promise we'll come back. I'm going down to the basement to like work on some stuff and I'll see you in 20 minutes. Okay. My husband had to do this for me the other day. I was like absolutely livid about something. And he was like, just go up to your the to your room. He was not sending me to my room. <laughs> go up, just go up to our room. I will take over. Like, I love you. You're right. It's okay. But take mm. take 20 minutes. And I like couldn't do it. I'm like, no. He's like, okay, well then me and George will go outside and you can have me inside. <laughs> but he knew she's offline. We're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And it was good. I took 30 minutes and then I went outside and I was like, hey guys, sorry about that. <laughs> Let's stop. It's so funny how when we come down from that space, again, that reasoning comes back online, that more realistic lens to see things more clearly instead of so magnified and intense. All of that kind of resettles back in. And and I remember when I first started dating my partner, he's very good at like – he's calm, cool, and collected. And I would go to like pick a fight about something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and he would be like, I don't think right now is an appropriate time to have this conversation. Why don't we come back to this later? And the boundary would make me so Mad. angry in the moment. <laughs> But he was identifying nothing good comes from this conversation right now, Yeah, right? Yeah. And that's something that really was hard for me because it maybe like earlier on in our relationship, I was so fused with those emotions that like there was such an urgency to deal with it that the boundary felt very, I don't know, intense to me at that time. Thre- and threatening. Right. It's also threatening because it's like, no, I need this thing. You're taking it away from me. And so even if the other person is being cool, calm, and collected and doing the quote right thing, yeah. again, you're in threat mode. You're not thinking, wow, like that's a really nice way to be. And I can see that we need to take a break. You're thinking, my partner is taking away this relationship thing I need. And that makes me feel threatened. Yeah. It makes me feel really upset. Right. We're now like, I don't even know how many years into marriage, like eight, nine, ten. I don't know. He would know. I don't know. <laughs> no. I suck at this. And now we can be like, I think you need to eat dinner before we have this conversation, <laughs> right? Like now there's just such a different level of comfort there. And the safety has been proven over and over again in our relationship that the space and the waiting is okay. Yes. It's okay now to have a little break because it doesn't feel so threatening because time and time again, we come back to it. Yeah. And I think that's a big trigger for a lot of couples is someone will storm off and then they will stonewall or they will withdraw and there is no like re-entry. Yes. And that is very anxiety provoking, right? I'm so glad you brought that up because that in itself is a way that a hot conversation goes off track. Mm -hmm. Because the entire issue here is that there's not safety, right? And so to get the safety, you do need a break, but it needs to be a relational break. I love you. I'll see you in 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, just like I went downstairs and my husband said, oh, look, the Incredible Hulk is back, you know, like, and we were able to laugh <laughs> and, joke right. and joke and come together. Now, if you take this break and you go back and the other person is not there, either like physically or emotionally, they're like, I'm not talking about that. I don't want to go back into it. Those hormones in your bloodstream are coming back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
I thought I was safe to take the break. I'm not safe. They're blocking me again. This relationship is going to have problems. I'm not going to get my need met. And so it goes right back into it. So sometimes people who are more avoidant will hear the break thing and they'll say, hooray. I don't <laughs> have to deal I, with this anymore. Right. I don't have to deal with it. And you know, a danger could be that they go to couples therapy and the couples therapist says, take a break without the caveat of you have to come back. And then the stonewaller, who is stonewalling for their own reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Not a monster necessarily, but they're overwhelmed. Yeah. But what they'll say is they'll say, well, Liz said to take a break. I don't think we should talk about this. Yeah. But you have to. If you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to continue to create this dynamic of anxiety where it's, I know I can't trust my partner. I can't rely on them. When they say to take a break, they don't come back. So then guess what happens? The person stops taking the break. Mm -hmm. They're just going to say, I'm not taking the break. You don't come back. You don't talk to me about it. So we're going to talk about it now. Yeah. And then the stonewaller, the withdrawler, whatever you want to call them is going to say, I'm not talking about it now. And they're going to check out and everybody's going to get exhausted and nothing happens. Right. And then you persist and you chip away and they withdraw more. And then these conversations become even more below the belt, even more emotionally charged. Yeah. Maybe even like mean to get a reaction out of the person to at least know they care. And then we do this really kind of unhealthy dance back and forth, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that safety to take a break, you know, knowing that you're going to come back, whether it's tonight, it doesn't have to be before bed, you know, maybe it's in the morning, but knowing that you're going to reenter it. And I think that that's something I learned in our relationship early on when we were dating is like, we come back to the conversation. Yeah. And it's when I'm less amped up usually. Yeah, Yeah, but that also – that changed you. Yeah. You know, like whatever it was in the beginning that made you feel like I can't trust a break. I can't trust that you really mean we just need to cool off. Yeah. You over – and this is like the beauty of relationships is this didn't just happen. This happened because your body actually over time started to be like, I can take a break. We talk about it later. Yeah. It's worked out. I've seen it happen. And so the more that you see this happen, the easier it gets the more kind of healed in your own nervous system you become, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I like love the concept of attachment styles. Mm -hmm. And so to learn to be securely attached to someone is something that we learn within our relationships with practicing and healing over time, right? And that's definitely a part of our story is that he was like as cool as a freaking cucumber, (laughs) which – kind of rubbed off on me in a way that I'm like, oh, I don't have to be activated right now. I don't have to be anxious right now or whatever. And over time, just really allowed me to settle into this real sense of safety in our relationship, not without its tough conversations or disagreements as we're talking about today, but this overarching safety of knowing we can have this disagreements and you're not leaving after, you know, like just a real sense of safety in that. Yeah, so powerful. I feel like I could talk all day with you about all things relationships because there's so many little places we could go like in terms of avoidant versus anxious and this back and forth they do or 
the four horsemen and stuff. So I would love for those who are listening to, if you've got follow-up questions for Liz or you've got places that you'd like us to see us go deeper into, let us know. And based on your feedback on the podcast, we'll often knock on a guest's door to see if they'll come (laughs) back over time. So let us know what resonated with you in this episode and if there's more that you would like to hear about. And Liz, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Congratulations on the release of your book. Can you share with us where people can find your book, where you hang out online, how they can stay in contact and following of you? Absolutely. So my book is called I Want This to Work. And you can find it everywhere books are sold. It's for pre-order right now, but it'll be at your door on November 30th, the day it comes out. It'll be in bookstores. So if you want to pre-order it, you can do that. And the book is a really full guide of all of the types of things that you might encounter in your relationship when it comes to conflict, when it comes to repairing conflict, and you know when it comes to the good stuff, like actually connecting with each other and enjoying each other. So definitely check it out. And you can easily find me on Instagram at Liz Listens. That's the easiest place to find me. But I'm also on all the other things like TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, but it's not my primary zone. So So check me out on Instagram. And I have a website, ElizabethEarnshaw.com. Easy to remember. We will link all of this in the show notes slash blog post that gets released as our show notes each week. And we'll be able to click you through there and find everything through those show notes. Again, thank you and congratulations on the feat of putting this workout into the world. It's going to feel so amazing to see people holding your book in their hands. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.